This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Science Weekly is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash scienceweekly today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scienceweekly. If you've heard parts one and two of our microbiome mini-series, you'll know that scientists are rapidly revealing all kinds of fascinating insights about the bugs inside us. And the brain, of course, is constantly communicating with the microbiome through the vagus nerve and through the enteric nervous system. So it's kind of almost hardwired into the gut, uh, and the microbiome communicates with it very directly. In women with a dysbiotic vaginal microbiota, they are more prone to infections, uh, HIV infections. I think the risk is up to 60% higher in women with a dysbiotic vaginal microbiota to get infected. What you might be surprised to learn is that we know a lot less about the bugs that live on us. Research into it is very much lagging behind research into the gut microbiome. Still, just like our insides, it seems our Western lifestyles are causing some problems. There's probably an increase in inflammatory skin disorders in terms of the number of people that are going to see dermatologists. So it's very likely that we are disrupting our skin microbiome. So today, we're finding out how our skin microbiome looks after us. They're very important in training our immune system. And this is done early in childhood, this dialogue between the immune system and the microbiome on the skin. And how we can look after it. If you look after your skin, then you're going to help look after your skin microbiome. 
I'm The Guardian's science editor, Ian Sample, and this is Science Weekly, with the final part of our exploration into the microbes that shape us. Today, the skin. Julie Thornton, you're the academic director of the Centre for Skin Sciences and professor in cutaneous biology at the University of Bradford. Give me a sense of the landscape of our skin and where we might find microbes. We find microbes across the different layers of the skin. The top layer, the epidermis, the outer layer, is the most well studied because we can take swabs of the skin. If we want to look at the microbes in the dermis, which is the next layer down, we have to take biopsies, which is a much more invasive procedure to do that. Um, these are less diverse, the ones in the dermis. The skin is also populated with appendages like the sweat glands, hair follicles, and their associated sebaceous glands. These also have a microbiome. So the skin itself is a pretty complex organ. There's the different layers and the added extras like our sebaceous glands, which secrete the oil or sebum that lubricates our skin and hair. Aside from the palms of our hands and the soles of our feet, sebaceous glands are all over our skin. But we have the highest number on our face and scalp, the places that get greasy. The variation in our skin across our bodies means that we're host to a world of different ecosystems. Populations across different areas of the skin are very different because we have what we call sebaceous sites, where we have very large sebaceous glands. These are often referred to as oily sites. Uh, the sebaceous glands, which are attached to the hair follicles, they produce a very unique type of lipid. And these lipids are very important as food for the microbes that live on our skin. So, for example, on the face and the back, and then the drier sites, which are the arms and the legs that don't have this abundance of sebaceous lipids. And then where we've got a lot of hair, again, we have a different uh, community of microbes that live there. So, for example, on the scalp, because we've got those very large hair follicles, we have more yeast and also um, little mites that live in the hair follicles. And these mites can sit in there and they can prevent things getting in. Whereas on the facial skin, we have more bacteria than yeast. And then the feet, they don't have hair follicles or sebaceous glands. They have a lot of sweat glands. While you might have more bacteria on your face or in the crook of your elbow, your feet are the place to find fungi. Scientists have found more than 100 species living there, with around 80 on the heel alone. Before you jump to the conclusion that that's why we have smelly feet, researchers actually think it's the bacteria causing a stink, and in particular, one called Staphylococcus epidermidis, which metabolises sweat and produces an unpleasant odour. But as Julie explains, the role of microbes in smell isn't limited to the feet. The scent that we have is due to our microbiome. We can distinguish people by smell. Somebody close to you, you might even recognise their smell. And it changes across our lifespan. So babies smell lovely. And then puberty, especially if they're boys. And then older people, they have a different smell as well. So that's the change in microbiome and that, that produces our scent. But aside from making a smell, 
What are these microbes up to? Certainly the ones on the epidermis, the outer layer, they are really important in helping maintain the barrier function of the skin. So having those good, healthy microbes is very important in keeping the pathogenic bacteria at bay because your skin is a point of entry for anything to get into your bloodstream. And also because we have immune cells in the skin, um, the skin microbiota are really crucial in, in establishing the immune tolerance and shaping the development of the immune cells um, by training them to sort of recognize what's pathogenic and what's a helpful bacteria. And the healthy microbiome will help in wound healing. It's their interaction with the cells of the skin, like the keratinocytes that make up the barrier and the immune cells. They help those cells promote wound healing and help the repair of that wound because they can also stimulate the cells to produce products that will keep pathogenic bacteria away. And then you have ones that are deeper in the skin. They're important in helping develop the immune system because you've got the ability for them to have a dialogue with the immune system through the blood vessels that are underneath the skin because the top layer of the skin doesn't have blood vessels. Keeping bad bugs out, enhancing immunity and healing wounds, those are some of the ways our skin microbiome protects us. But problems can arise if the skin microbiome gets knocked off kilter. One I wanted to ask you about is eczema, a common form being atopic dermatitis. Is that something where the microbiome plays a role? Yes. Yeah, so atopic dermatitis has been shown to be characterized by a dysbiosis of the microbiome. And there's a reduction in the diversity and overrepresentation of a specific pathogen. And what this means is that then you get this immune response. So you get this inflammation. Recently, a small study took swabs of people with and without atopic dermatitis to see how their microbes differed. They found people with eczema had less diverse microbiota but more Staphylococcus aureus and that one we heard about before on the feet, Staphylococcus epidermidis. While scientists don't know if this is a cause or a symptom of eczema, as Julie told me, it does offer a potential route for developing totally new kinds of treatments. One of the ways that we can look at this is perhaps to screen those people and see if they're starting to get a dysbiosis so we can maybe predict a flare in an onset of eczema. But we also know that eczema is very much linked to the gut microbiome. So understanding the relationship between the gut and the skin microbiome is very important for this disorder. So if our microbes are implicated in skin conditions like dryness, rashes and eczema, what about at the other end of the scale with acne? We often see an increase in the incidence of acne at puberty or after puberty because the sebaceous glands are stimulated not only to produce more oil, but the composition of that sebum changes with puberty. They become much more active and produce a different composition of lipids. So this changes quite significantly the microbes that live there. So what we see in acne is a higher proportion of C. acne, a bacteria that's commonly found in these 
areas where you've got this very rich sebum and that these are over-proliferating and helping to contribute towards the disease. Hormones, the immune system and the gut microbiome have all been implicated in acne and its triggers, but the complex interactions these have with the bugs on our skin remain a mystery. And while it's nice to bid the acne of our youth farewell, we're then faced with other challenges, like ageing skin. This is an area that we're really interested in exploring. Is it the changes in the ageing skin that are impacting the microbiome or do changes in the microbiome actually cause the skin to age more rapidly? So we know certainly that the lipids that the skin produces change with age, uh, so barrier function can be compromised. We know that the microbiome in ageing skin actually becomes more diverse. So we know that diversity is a good thing in the gut. In the skin, where we see the um, highest level of diversity is pre-puberty and then in older age. But why we see this change in elderly people um, is something we really want to understand. And one of the other studies that we start in this year is to look at women's health because women uh, and menopause see very significant changes in their skin. It does become drier, it becomes thinner, and they often see changes in their hair as well, hair thinning. So um, one of the things we want to look at, and nobody's really done this, is how the microbiome changes with menopause and does HRT help restore a healthy microbiome and what impact this has on skin. Julie is working with scientists from around the UK to try and understand how the skin microbiome changes as we age and what healthy skin ageing looks like. But there's also big business in anti-ageing and so researchers are keen to understand how we can keep ourselves not just feeling young but looking young too. One team in the US swabbed 51 white women from Paris. Two bacterial species were found to be associated with a decline in collagen, the stuff that keeps our skin strong. They were Cutibacterium acnes, or C. acnes, and once again, Staphylococcus epidermidis, although we don't know if they're actually responsible for ageing or merely a side effect of it. While we wait to understand the exact mechanisms behind all of this, I asked Julie, what do we know about the things that can damage our skin's microbiome? Obviously, things like smoking impacts skin, and so it will impact the microbiome. And our diet, having a Western diet high in sugar, and I think we all know if we have a poor diet, we see changes in our skin, we get outbreaks if we're prone to acne. Where we see a dysbiosis is perhaps in environments that are, are, are much harsher, so pollution has a big impact on skin health um, because there are lots of nanoparticles that can become trapped in our skin and your skin actually makes more lipids or more sebum from the sebaceous glands because it's trying to clean, to clear it away or protect it. So you can get a buildup and um, in sort of Western cultures, there's a big drive still to uh, have a tan which is fine but it's the burning that really can impact the skin significantly because it causes DNA damage so again you're inducing an inflammatory response and so that will also put your microbiome out of balance. 
What about the things we can do to look after our skin microbiome? So anything that can help maintain that sort of normal skin function in terms of the lipids that is producing that is food for the microbiome will be a good thing. Moisturizers do help because you don't want the skin to dry out. If you're wearing things that are making you very sweaty, then obviously you've got a lot of sweat building up on your body that can disrupt the microbiome. Washing per se is not going to get rid of your microbiome. You know, it will be restored within hours. And the the only things that are going to completely get rid of microbes is sort of harsh detergents and bleach. Sort of mild soaps and washing is good for your skin, particularly if you live in a very polluted environment. It is important to keep your skin healthy. Hopefully, if you've got a healthy skin, you're going to have a healthy microbiome. Thanks again to Professor Julie Thornton. And that's it for today and our exploration into the microbiome. If there are any topics you'd like us to take a deep dive into, do get in touch at scienceweekly at theguardian.com. And if you've enjoyed these episodes, we'd love it if you could leave a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. We'd really appreciate it. This episode was produced by Madeline Finley. It was sound designed by Joel Cox. And the executive producer is Ellie Bury. We'll be back on Thursday. See you then. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.